What if our capacity to imagine has been so badly damaged by the information climate of our times that destruction is all we can see? What if deforming our ability to imagine the present is precisely what governments and power structures do to control us? And what if I told you we have the power to change this? I believe we do. To seize this power requires a radical change in perspective, however. To do so, we need to take one tool being vandalized before our very eyes, language, and reclaim it and redefine what it means to be an ethical citizen in the present moment. Hi, this is Rick, and welcome to the next episode of my sub-podcast, which I am calling Words for Now and Later. I'm using the words that I just read. Those come from the Dictionary of the Undoing by Mr. John Freeman. And you are here today for episode D for decency. If you are not familiar with what I'm doing in this series of podcasts, please go back to the first episode, A for Agitate, and that will explain what you need to know. So I'm jumping into the D for decency chapter here, and I think this is, like all the words in this relatively new book, applicable to this time. And here's what Mr. Freeman says about decency. He says, you know, it starts with how the leaders of our nation are often indecent these days. And he goes on to say, of all the norms upon which civil society depends, decency is the most delicate. It exists only in practice, not in the abstract. A society, after all, is the sum of the behaviors it tolerates. And again, I just want to comment momentarily on that before I share more of Mr. Freeman's words that, yes, I think that is very true. And what have we seen over the last set of years? And I don't just mean since 2016 or 2017's inauguration. I mean, even before that, this pushing of the envelope of what society will tolerate, what society says is common decency of how we should behave publicly, and what is, to use the opposite of that, what is indecent. Mr. Freeman, though, goes on to say, as with the treatment of citizens, societies tipping toward tyranny always begin by shrinking their definition of decency by subtracting people. That's on page 29 in his book. He goes on to say, There is an agitation to the way the powerful begin to speak. Repetitions, cul-de-sacs of impressions, word clusters, and nicknames become part of the synactical, synactical tools used to chip populations out of the citizenry. Cockroaches, vermins, hordes. Yes, words that we've heard people described as on Twitter feeds, on newscasts, in interviews at rallies, and so forth. So what do we do? We who are concerned about this slippage of decency or this rise of indecency. He says, Mr. Freeman does, we will resist full-blown tyrannies through practicing decency ourselves. Practice kindness to all in smaller numbers, and it slowly can be asserted as the norm. Address all people with an assumption of their dignity, and it can become the norm. We have the right and the power to uphold these norms. To make them part of our definition of decency, we must. At this point, we will not feel the need to ask them for their decency, them being the tyrants who are rising, for their decency to beg for it, we express ours by enacting it. And that is on page 30. 
I think this idea of decency, especially common decency, which is one of the ways that we promote and bring the common good, is more essential than ever right now in the midst of this pandemic that we are all facing around the world and in this nation. Please stay with me through the break. And when I return, I want to comment on just some news today that I think has the potential for leading to greater indecency and an example of decency that can counter that. Well, thank you for staying with me through the break. So the news of today that I think fits here very significantly has to do with an announcement that the president hastily apparently made today. He said that he is deeming churches, places of worship, uh, synagogues, mosques, and so forth, to be, quote, essential uh, places, and that he will order their opening immediately. Now, putting aside the question that the president even has the power to do this, and there was something about some kind of a threat about what he would do if governors who do have the power to choose what happens health-wise in their states. Uh, There was some kind of a threat that was being made um, by the president against governors who might choose to do that. Here's the problem with that. Now, on on its face, saying, hey, churches can open, that that can be an okay thing. I I go to church every Sunday. I, I think that's a valuable and important thing. That being said, two things have to be considered. Number one is that whatever any individual church or any individual business or any individual anything right now where people are going to gather if it is not done safely with restrictions and we know those restrictions simple things wear a mask social distance wash your hands and so forth sanitize everything if something is done without those being in place it is likely that infections will spread from that and we've already seen that even one event, a choir member in the United States, I'm I'm forgetting where it was, it has shown that that choir practice before all the lockdowns happened back in early March spread to multiple people, more than 50 people in the choir, just singing, right? And one can imagine in a church that isn't practicing those types of things that I just mentioned for the common good, it could become a nightmare because each of those people who becomes effect, infected can spread it to others and so forth and so forth. So one particular church opening or a restaurant or any other social place without precautions could in itself lead to a new hotspot. Second thing is this, and I think this is even more challenging for decency, is when churches open Will the pastors, will the leaders, and again, by churches, I'm also meaning synagogues and mosques. I'm just trying to use some shorthand. Will those leaders, in what could be an indecent way, try to coerce or force or urge or pressure or shame or whatever their congregants, their churchgoers, to feel that they have to come back? Or even worse, to somehow say something like, well, God will be angry at you if you don't come back. Anytime one says God will be blank, I think we have to be very, very, very careful. And 
there's a lot of room there for indecent activities, right? That being said, I think, again, we have to be very careful. I think there was a very decent thing along these lines that the diocese where I live and hopefully other Catholic dioceses elsewhere has done. Even before today's announcement, the Columbus Diocese announced that churches would be reopened for Sunday Mass a week from this Sunday, which not coincidentally, perhaps, is Pentecost, the celebration of the uh, birthday, if you will, of the church. A wonderful day to celebrate being back together. I know from reading the bishop's letter that the highest levels of social distancing and, and other precautions will be in place. But I also heard the bishop himself say, as I watched his, um, his mass last Sunday from the cathedral, again, watched it, I think it was Facebook Live that I was using at the time. He said very specifically, you do not need to come to Mass unless you feel comfortable. And to formalize this, there was a official declaration that Catholics are not obliged, um, meaning we are dispensed from, that's the opposite of obligation, we are not obliged to go to face-to-face Mass in order to receive communion until the middle of September. And I think this is a tremendously decent compromise, if you will, right? Because I'm sure there were probably were people who were talking to the bishop saying, hey, look, you know, we want to get back. We want the Eucharist. We make this, make this broad statement. But there are others who aren't feeling comfortable going to the churches. There are others who are at higher risk. And to have any sort of guilt or shame in those people because they are choosing to stay home and presumably watching Mass on television, okay, or streaming it, right, on the internet, I think that's a very decent thing. And the bishop even went a step further in the homily that I heard from him last Sunday. He said, even if you want to stay home, If you want to come, but you decide to stay home to allow someone else to come, because again, there's going to be restrictions on number of attendees and social distancing and and so forth. He said, you could choose to do that. And I think, again, it's such a kind and decent thing to do. And I really hope and pray that we can have more of the kindness, especially from our religious leaders. I hope more pastors and individual churches and and bishops and um, imams and rabbis and all of the religious leaders can say something like what our bishop, Bishop Brennan, said publicly on Facebook Live there. Look, we want you to come. We hope you come. The Eucharist is the heart of our Catholic faith. But if you're not ready, if you can't, that's okay. In fact, that's good that you are making that decision, especially if it allows someone else to come in your place. Again, I think that is what we need more of, and I hope and pray for more of that. So again, to close, decency, what does that mean to you? And where do you see indecency in your life? And as Mr. Freeman said in that quote that I read, the antidote, if you will, to the indecency we see all around us in our leaders and in our um, media. It's not to beg them for decency, tell them to stop, 
but to be decent ourselves. And one of the best ways to be decent is through simple kindness. Again, thank you all so much for listening. May you live today towards the common good.